Hello, college football fans, and welcome to episode 165 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. Hello, everyone. We are here to talk about our favorite team, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, as well as the wider national world of college football. Uh, Today, we'll be talking about the rivalry games, how everything played out, and what the conference championship games are going to be, as well as evaluating Nebraska's overall performance this season, and even a little bit of uh, volleyball, since we are the number one team. Sounds awesome, and lots to talk about on the football side, for sure. Yes, Uh, and I apologize if my voice is a little weird during this podcast. I'm still getting over that cold a little bit, um, but it's mostly gone now, so that's the good news. You're on the mend. Yes, on the mend. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and stick with our tradition and open up our cold beverages. Uh, I've got uh, more of my Japanese Sapporo beer here. Okay, and and I'm and I'm drinking the the uh, Yingling Light, my beer of choice when I'm down here in Florida, trying to uh, you know reverse the trend of what my my traditional trend is, which is getting fatter. As the as the year goes by, and and then trying to recommit in January. Well, I'm trying to do that a little ahead of schedule this year. So here we go. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I'm glad to hear you're uh, you're being health conscious this holiday season. Well, yeah, yeah, it's hard to do. <laughs> it is. It is. I had a great uh, Thanksgiving dinner with your brother AJ and his wife Lynn this weekend. And then we had a great steak dinner at Outback Steakhouse. Uh, AJ said it was one of the top five steaks he's ever had. Wow, that's pretty amazing coming from Outback Steakhouse. I mean, they they make an okay steak, but that <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to remind him of some of the steak he had when he was growing up. <laughs> All right, you Jeez. do that. You do that. I will. <laughs> um. So we'll be starting things out with, uh, of course, Nebraska football. We played our last game of the year against Iowa, um, and we gave our predictions on the previous podcast. Um, I was optimistic that we could pull out a W in a low-scoring game of uh, 20 to 13, and you predicted a little bit higher-scoring game of uh, 28 to 12 with a Nebraska victory. Uh, but of course, you know it was a game with the like the lowest uh over under point spread uh in you know many years and we still managed to uh beat the under it was a 10 <laughs> to 13 victory for Iowa so only 23 points overall uh and unfortunately uh Nebraska did not do what we said they needed to do on the previous podcast it kind of was an Iowa type game very defensive uh very you know field position based And uh, we had three turnovers, uh, which, of course, are going to cost you against a team like Iowa. Uh, But once again, our defense put on a very impressive showing, you know, being able to hold them in many situations. And we also blocked two field goals, um, which were critical for, you know, keeping us in the game. Uh, But it came back to similar things we've had all year. struggles on the offense to get drives going turnovers and as well uh some special teams mistakes such as a missed field goal and a muffed kickoff so it was one of those type of games 
and and the the bottom line is I you know going into the game my my hope was I again I was I was looking through rose colored glasses because I wanted so desperately for us to get to that six win mark and be able to have these extra three weeks of practice I mean I that's that's the biggest disappointment of this as much as I do not like Iowa and would have liked to have you know ruined the end of their season a little bit and maybe led them into their um, you know, bowl game win on a two game losing streak. Cause they're going to lose this weekend. Uh, but uh, uh, the bottom line is that, yeah, the, the mistakes that have plagued us throughout the season that continue to not be resolved. And in a, in a, against a team like Iowa, whose whole structure as a team is based on basically playing field position, shortening the game and waiting for you to make mistakes and then taking advantage of those mistakes to win the football game, that strategy is a perfect strategy against Nebraska. <laughs> and they're the best at it in the country, frankly. Uh, you know, how a team that is as bad offensively as Iowa is uh, can be 10-2 and two and going in to play the number two team in the country, Michigan, for the Big Ten Championship is really something that should be studied. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, uh, on the college football Reddit, that game got like 2,000, 3,000 upvotes, which is quite a lot, um, you know, and so people are, yeah, fascinated at how Iowa has managed to kind of stumble their way into this uh, Big Ten championship game. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is it is really remarkable. And, and actually, the game itself, if you just watch the game, it was entertaining because that game got so shortened so quickly. I mean... They they had a drive I think that was a uh, it was in the second quarter I, I think and it was uh maybe ten or eleven plays they drove from like the twenty yard line to the forty five yard line of ours I mean it was a it was literally like a thirty five yard drive but it took eleven plays and six and a half minutes yeah <laughs> of clock time I mean it was just amazing right well and I actually couldn't watch the whole game because like I said I was with your brother this weekend but the pretty much the whole first half. Uh, went by in within the 90 minutes we had to watch the game. We had three offensive possessions in the first half. Three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and when you look at the, the stats for the game, we actually out-yarded them slightly. It was 264 oh, yeah. yards to 257. And you look at yeah. their third down conversions, they were 6 of 18, uh, which is obviously not great. Well, we were uh, 8 of 17, so slightly better, but still not great. Um, right. But it really comes down to uh, those turnovers, right? And Iowa had a turnover of their own, and it was at a crucial moment when they were had the ball with just a few minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, and we were around midfield, and it was like, okay, we just need you know a, a couple first downs here, a few more yards, and we are in field goal range, and it was a tie ball game, 10 to 10, and we can win. Um, and then of course, uh, we take a timeout and we come out of that timeout and Chubba Purdy throws a really bad interception right to an Iowa guy. And at that point, you know, we, now they had the, the field position for a field goal and our defense gives up a first down, which gets them into a much easier range. And we don't manage to block this field goal, even though we'd blocked the previous two, they brought in their backup kicker who got the game winning field goal for them. Yep. Yep. I mean, it's uh, same, same story, you know, 876th verse. So <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where, 
you know, um, at, at the end of the day, you, you know, you can go back through the whole season and I, I'm sure we'll talk uh, uh, from a season perspective in future podcasts. But the, the bottom line is if, if we had a quarterback, actually you need two or three that are real quarterbacks that have the skill sets to be a division one quarterback. And that means all of them, not just some of them. And we have been, you know, um, drawn in to the devil in the details of these athletes who don't have all the quarterback skills. And we have had, we have lived with the bugaboo of, of high error quarterback play for not just this year, but literally 16 or 18 years, I guess it's probably 15 years right now that I could go back to and point because we've had three quarterbacks in a row that played for four years for us uh, and were the primary quarterback for us for four years, uh, three times, right? Right. Uh, the two, the two Martinez's and Tommy Armstrong. Yes. There's, there's 12 years right there of football play. Uh, all of whom are incredible athletes. Each one of them are individually incredible athletes, but they all had a fatal flaw primarily in the area of, of decision-making and turnovers. Right. Right. And, you know, none of them uh, being a true passing quarterback, right? Um, Correct. But, you know, of course, right, during the Taylor Martinez days, you know, under Bo Pelini, uh, we still managed to get to nine wins, right? Um and uh, thinking about this season overall, obviously, uh, we ended up five and seven. We are not going to a bowl game. We are fourth in the Big Ten East this year, or I'm sorry, the West, um, so, which is an improvement over last year because we were four and eight last year. So we did get one more win. Um, I went back to one of our earlier podcasts that we did uh, right before the Minnesota game, you know, at the beginning of the football season, and we didn't really give a... Uh, prediction for what our record would be per se from what I could uh, find but we did basically say we hope that Matt Rule well a we want to go to a bowl game and b we hope that Matt Rule is the secret sauce to help us avoid these close losses right because under both Scott Frost and Mike Riley uh, we have a lot of close games you know s seven points or less so it feels like you know, we're so close. If we just could have reversed those, you know, then we're nine win team. Right. Um, so we were hoping that Matt rule would be the guy to do that. And I think we have to say, looking at the season overall, that uh, Matt rule failed on both counts. He did not get us to a bowl game and we are still having the same bugaboo issue of losing the really close games and having lots of turnovers and things of that nature. You are 100% right in all of those things. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of other things that we can look at, though, and say, hey, Matt Rule is, is moving us in the right direction. I think he is going to get us there. What he doesn't have yet, and what I just talked about was a real quarterback. And, and I hope that he has got enough wisdom and experience now to know that he can say all the right things to, to support Chubba Purdy and Heinrich Harburg and Jeff Sims, if Jeff chooses to stay, to say, hey, these guys are still my quarterback room, and I believe that they can get better, and we're going to keep working hard every day to make them better quarterbacks. But I hope he's also wise enough that he needs to go out and get himself a player, preferably someone from the portal, who is going to come in with some experience, proven experience, uh, as someone who can run 
uh, a reasonable offense like what Coach Rule wants to run and can throw the football and make the quick decisions that are necessary of a of a power five quarterback. Because our problem has been none of these guys have ever be, ever been able to get comfortable in uh, making those decisions. Now, part of that is our offensive line has been lousy during a, a big chunk of this time too, right? So the, one of the reasons is these people all have happy feet because they don't feel confident in their pocket. Right. So I know there's a lot to that, but right. Um, well, and I would say one area, the, like you mentioned, there have been areas of improvement, which I'll get to in a moment, but one of them is that the offensive line was, I would say was better than last year. Cause it felt like last year, Casey Thompson was always on the run, oh, yeah. you know, yep. uh, facing a guy, whereas we, it was a little more like 50, 50, right? Sometimes we did give them protection and time, um, yep. And against, you know, particular opponents, right? We were able to get a real running game going and things like that. Um, but it was not consistent. And we ran the football effectively and probably didn't run it enough. And that's where Nebraska fans were very critical of our, our play calling this year. And ultimately that falls on Coach Rule because if Coach Satterfield wasn't calling games the way he wanted to, he could have influenced that game plan from week to week. And yet, we we would you know talk the talk but not walk the walk on commitment to the running game throughout the whole second half of the season ironically the games we won in the middle of the season we were heavy run because harburg was healthy and was a load and was new if you will right to the starting position so there wasn't a lot of book on him um and he was able to pass just enough and i thought okay he's figuring out the formula to win football games in the big 10 west and then he and then we kind of went away from it in that we didn't stay patient and committed to the running game like we should have. Right. So th those are all, all, you know, strategic decisions and things like that in game decisions, which is where I would be critical of, of coach rule. Right. Uh, the other stuff, the off the field stuff, the culture stuff, the recruiting stuff, the putting together the organization that he has all that. I give him high grades. Right. I did some comparative looking back at last season compared to this season, because, of course, that's what we're judging rule on is what happened last year, because it's a lot of the same players. Um, and it's overall, you know, quite similar. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we had three Big Ten wins both seasons when uh, we kind of had two kind of more blowout losses. Right. It was Oklahoma and uh, Michigan last year. And then this year it was uh, Michigan and Colorado. And then all the other games were close. Uh, but the the biggest difference is that, right, last year we had that high-scoring loss to Georgia Southern, uh, you know, a, one of our non-conference opponents and a particularly embarrassing loss because we should not be losing to them. Uh, and Rule avoided that. Uh, we won both of our non-conference games uh, solidly this year. Uh, so that's that's one feather in his cap. But when you're just looking at pure, you know, win-loss record, that's really the only major difference between the two seasons. Yep. No, I, I'm I'm with you. And and you know what? I, I think Coach Rule is is honest enough with himself to recognize that. Yep. You know what? And and he and he gets back to that brass tacks pretty regularly. It says he acknowledges. I get it. We did not win enough this year. He knows that we should have won more. And the thing that's most frustrating to me about this season is that, you know, if you had told me how putridly bad the rest of the Big Ten West was going to be, <laughs> okay, and that and that our offensive line was going to perform the way it did, um, and our defense was going to perform the way it did, 
I would have told you we were going to win the Big Ten West. And we would have had seven or eight wins. And we certainly, you know, back after we had our little three game, you know, or won three out of four games sequence there. And we were looking at the next four games and saying, oh my gosh, we could easily go two and two here. And, and, you know, we're, we're seven, uh, seven and five, right. Instead of five and seven. Um, and we didn't even go two and two, we went on four, right. So, uh, you just can't do that. And, and that's on rule that he yeah. wasn't able to find a way, find a win. Now you look at the scores, three points, three points, overtime, three points. Right. Well, uh, so I did I actually did a little bit of math, uh, adding up the scores from last year and this year and kind of comparing them, which obviously is <laughs> not, which is obviously not a, a perfect metric, right? Because, you know, no. uh, you know, you might score a ton in one game and then get blown out the mm-hmm. next game, right? And the margin of points exactly. you know, for victory could be small. Um, but I think it does show some overall trends. So I thought it was worth bringing up. Um, okay. So, for example, uh, in 2022, our offense scored 271 points, while in 2023, we scored 216. So it was about a 20% drop in terms of total points scored by the offense. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, uh, our defense gave up 331 points last year and only 219 this year. So it was a 34% increase in defense, which I think goes to show what we've seen this year, which is... Uh, that Tony White and his three three five defense gave our Big Ten opponents a lot of trouble and was able to keep scores very low. Uh, other than Colorado and Michigan, we kept all teams under 25 points this year. Uh, but our offense had even more struggles than last year. You know, we had an injury, obviously, to our starting quarterback right in game two, and then we had to bring in the third string quarterback, you know, and we had even, I haven't looked at the turnovers, but we might have had even more than last year. Uh, right. So, you know, when you add all that up, you know, the offensive struggles well, kind of make some sense. And you talk about all the injuries. I mean, the number of injuries we had this year to starters. Like, if you looked at our offense, literally, to lose your top two running backs, basically to either injury or departure, your top four wide receivers, to lose um, two of your best offensive linemen uh, for the season, to lose you know, like three of your premier, your top flight defensive backs uh, to, uh, you know, the the only place that that didn't seem to lose a lot of players, ironically, was the defensive line, which is what I was most concerned about. And most of our defensive linemen made it through the season, uh, you know, without uh, a, a season ending injury. So we might have lost a guy for a game or a half here or there, but but we stayed fairly healthy along the defensive line. And that was the area I was most concerned about going into the season because I felt like we didn't have much depth there. And uh, but I couldn't have imagined having to go to our third and fourth team running backs, basically. Yes, and and have yeah lose so many so early in the season, right? And having to kind of yeah. scramble the rest of the season. But uh, you know, the good news is that we are quite a young team. You know, and, and because of some of those injuries, a lot of those younger guys got a lot of playing time this season. So if we have guys get healthy over, you know, the next uh, year and uh, rule has more time to implement his system and everything. And if we're able to hold on to Tony White as our defensive coordinator, obviously there's hope for improvement next year. Uh, But one of the challenges is that our schedule and the new Big Ten with, you know, 
all the new teams added and everything is quite a bit harder than it was this year. So I have a feeling yes. that we might be a better team next year, but maybe have the same record because uh, the competition is just tougher. I would agree with that. It's going to be much harder to get the six wins last year than it was this year. So our, our degree of improvement is going to have to be significant just to get over the hump and get to that sixth win, right? For us to be able to find six wins. The good news is if you look at our schedule, the, the early portion of the schedule is the easier part, if you will, for lack of a better term. And um, so there's a chance that we could get close early, but I have a feeling that next year's uh, season arc is going to end up looking a lot like this year's where we we have some success early, you know, winning four or or five of our first six or seven games, and then we end up losing a lot of games late. Um, yes. I, I'm, I'm fearful that that's the arc we're going to have next year, so we damn well better seize on the opportunity early in the season. Yes. But all of this is predicated on we need a quarterback. Right now, <laughs> we do not have – I mean, we've we've now given all three of those guys – multiple games as a starter where they've played entire games and these aren't rookies. Okay. None of these quarterbacks were freshmen. None of these quarterbacks were guys that hadn't seen football action before. Right. So, uh, at, at the division one big 10 level. So all of them have, have had the opportunity to play multiple games in, uh, you know, power five conference competition, and they've all proven that they are incomplete as quarterbacks okay so we need a quarterback who's proven and that can't be a freshman yeah we need to go out and get ourselves somebody yeah very much so uh on the recruiting note uh we got a mix of news this week uh we got a commitment just today from a four-star offensive lineman named uh, grant bricks uh, which yes. obviously we need some help on the offensive oh, line so that's absolutely. great yeah, he is a he, he is a huge get and somebody we were going after and we were competing against. Uh, he's a Iowa kid, I believe. And so, uh, ironically, he, he had his final three had come down to Kansas State, Oklahoma, and Nebraska. Oklahoma appeared to be in the lead for a long period of time, but ultimately the relationships and, and what he believes in in terms of the future of the program, he felt more comfortable at Nebraska. And so he's made the commitment to the University of Nebraska, which is awesome because we need offensive linemen. Yes, we do. Uh, on the other hand, we had a four-star defensive tackle who had already committed to us uh, decommit this week. Um, not exactly clear what his reasons are, but, you know, there's got to be a, some good to go at the bad, I guess. Well, yeah. And, you know, there, he had uh, been uh, aggressively pursued by Ohio State, but he didn't have a committable offer to them, meaning they were expressing interest, interest in him. He's kind of their backup plan. If they lose some guys to the portal in that defensive line position, or if they lose out on some of their higher targets on the defensive line, then this guy is going to get a committable offer. Um, and so they, they basically strung him out. They uh, hit him hard and tried to recruit him hard and invited him to come to uh, the uh, school. Then they delayed his uh, visit. Once they got him committed to coming to visit, even though he was already committed to Nebraska, they got him to say yes to a, to a visit, and then they changed the date and pushed it beyond the early signing date so that now he has to make a decision. If, he's, if he wants to wait around for the possibility of an Ohio State commitment, he needed to delay Nebraska and say, Nebraska, I don't want to sign with you uh, at the early signing date. 
And I think that probably led to a conversation uh, where we parted ways. Right. I mean, that makes sense. You know, how's that kind of playing hardball there? Right. Yep. Uh, Slow playing him and we weren't willing to wait for him. Right. Um, yep. So, uh, obviously in the, uh, upcoming off season, we'll be talking more about, you know, Nebraska's prospects for next year. Um, you know, evaluating Matt rule and his staff and, uh, you know, talking about, uh, how things will be better next year, right? The hope springs eternal, as they say. Exactly. <laughs> that is so true. <laughs> All right. Um, but we do have another Nebraska team to talk about that, uh, did not do so badly, uh, this past week. Um, that would be, of course, the women's volleyball team. Uh, they did have a major match against Wisconsin, uh, after the five set epic at Nebraska earlier this year, this one was going to be at Wisconsin, which we knew, uh, was going to be a challenge. And I think I predicted that, uh, they would beat us. Uh, three to two in five sets, and you said uh, they would beat us three to one. Uh, unfortunately, it ended up being a three to zero. Um, the first two sets were close, um, but we weren't quite able to, you know, make our comebacks or hold on to the leads that we had. And then the third set, they right. kind of uh, just went to town on us. You know, we kind of, you know, gave up a little bit. Lost it. Yep. Yep. Well, and that's the thing. And it's and regretfully. You know, and that tends to happen to a team that's undefeated, right? That's never experienced defeat during the course of a season. Uh, once they get close to being defeated, you know, they uh, there's there's often a moment where they kind of lose their focus and collapse, for lack of a better term. And that definitely happened to us in that third set. The interesting thing is, is that we didn't necessarily play horribly in the first two sets. In fact, we had a lead uh, in in the latter part of each of those two sets and then allowed them to just uh, take the lead late and just overwhelm us in that what's called the red zone between the score of 20 and 25, 25 being the point where a normal game ends, right? The first 25 wins the set. Uh, they dominated in the red zone and uh, much like a team in the, you know, inside the 20 yard line in football. So the bottom line is also that they had a couple of players who just went off on us. And uh, both of them exceptional players, both of them All-American level players, but they played above even their All-American level. Uh, I mean, um, Sarah Franklin, who is their outside hitter, played at a National Player of the Year level against us. She was hitting shots that, frankly, I haven't seen many collegiate players ever hit. Uh, she was hitting shots that would have been hard and, and, and just, you know, dime kills at the professional level and then the six foot nine monster um anna schreck uh was you know rested because she was coming off of injury and motivated because we had beaten them in the earlier uh competition and she was dominant and we had no answer for her height she simply ignored our block and hit over the top of it she can reach 11 4 and we have some girls who are very tall and uh, can jump really well. And the best they're at is maybe 10, eight, 10, nine. So she's a full six inches above them, uh, seven inches above them in her vertical. Can you imagine that? I mean, the net is, I believe the net is eight and a half feet, the top of the volleyball net officially. Right. So if you're jumping to 11 feet, you're a little bit ahead of that net. 
<laughs> yeah. And yeah. It's just hard to stop that. Yeah. So, you know, regardless of what the score was, right, we both predicted that we would lose on the previous podcast. And that's what happened. Uh, our first yep. loss of the season. And then the girls had to go the very next day and play against Minnesota, who they'd beaten earlier in the season. And uh, the first two sets were quite comfortable wins for us. Uh, then in the third set, we had a nice lead and let them come back and win that one close and then fought yep. back in the fourth set to take it 3-1. So ending the regular season with just the one loss as the number one team in the country. 28-1. Yep. And, you know, uh, and overall, I think I think having that loss will probably turn out to be an okay thing for us because going into the tournament, had we been undefeated, uh, I would have worried more about the third game against Wisconsin that would have potentially be in our future um, being a real problem for us. Now, I think that rebalances the uh, the playing field. And if we both take care of business and find ourselves the, the way that they set up the brackets, uh, uh, sets up that if Nebraska takes care of business and, and Wisconsin takes care of business, we're going to play each other for the national title. Now, there, there's a lot of ifs in there, but but it's certainly set up for that. And if it and if it does, I have a feeling we'll play better, and that our coaching staff will prepare better. And uh, but I would still give Wisconsin the edge in that rematch, that third game. But I, I certainly wouldn't say we don't have any chance at all. I think we have a decent chance to beat them, right? If that's the case. Well, it it, it is a great story, you know. If uh, we beat them, you know, at our uh, home stadium, and then they beat us at their home stadium, and then we fight on a neutral field, you know, a neutral yep. court, I should say, for the championship. You know, that would be pretty cool. Um, that would be. We won't talk much about the the overall tournament, the bracket. Obviously, they're going to be playing the first two rounds this weekend. Um, but yes, we are on uh, the side of the bracket with um, uh, Kentucky and Florida and Arkansas uh, are kind of the top teams in our side of things. Um, so those are kind of the ones that we've got to worry about and then potentially uh, Pittsburgh or Louisville for the semifinal. Right. And Kentucky is a great fear of mine. We've already played them this season, beat them three uh, zero at home. Uh, I believe it was three zero. Uh, it might've been three one. Uh, but uh, Kentucky is playing at a way higher level than they were when they played us early in the season. So, you know, our, uh, my only fear would be our, our girls, maybe not having, giving them the full respect and attention that they deserve given that we're so young. I mean, that tends to be a habit of young people is not, you know, fully being invested in the idea that, Hey, we need to focus on our side of the net and we need to just work hard to absolutely play our best every single point. Uh, I know our coaches are preaching that that's the, that's the culture of our program, but the reality is young players still don't really get that, especially when they're having the level of success that we have, right? It, it can get easy to, to mail it in just a little bit every now and then every here and there, which is why we've had this tendency to have a, you know, a third set where we put our foot off the gas and let a team back in and then, and then end up having to win in four. Um, now we've had the fortitude and the never give up to, to, to come back and win each time, but that isn't going to work in this tournament. So Nebraska needs to mature in that process, but we have a, we have a tough bracket, but frankly, it's not, dramatically tougher than any other one um um i would say that uh uh pittsburgh 
probably has one of the tougher brackets just because they have to play Louisville again for the third time. Um, and the, uh, overall, the whole tournament was interestingly organized, obviously driven by RPI and by regionalization so that they were minimizing travel. Like all the Big Ten teams are playing in the Wisconsin bracket except for us. And, uh, and all the SEC teams were sent to our, our bracket, you know, except for a couple of them. I mean, right. we got like four of the eight SEC schools that got in uh, are all in our bracket. Yes. So they really regionalized things. Yep. So obviously, yeah, we'll be uh, talking about that on future podcasts, you know, especially if they go all the way to the finals, you know, we'll definitely make that a, a real focus. Um, yep. Now transitioning back to the national side of college football. Um, well, obviously we talk about the games, uh, but before that, we want to do a quick bit on the coaching carousel, you know, which is of course always spinning very fast at this point in the season. Um, so Mississippi state who had, uh, fired their coach previously hired Oklahoma offensive coordinator, Jeff Lebby to lead their program. And also, uh, Fran Brown, who was Georgia's, uh, defensive backs coach is going to Syracuse, uh, which is a bit of a. Nice thing for Nebraska fans because we were worried about Tony White potentially going there. That is true. That is nice to see that that position filled. Yes. And then uh, both Houston and Indiana fired their coaches, so they'll both be looking here in the coming weeks. And then we had the big ones, which was uh, Michigan State hiring Jonathan Smith, who is Oregon State's current coach. So they're filling that role well. And from the reactions I saw online, everybody seemed to be saying that's a great get for Michigan State. You know, Oregon State had a, a, a very good year this year by their usual standards. Um, and this uh, guy seems to be one of the big reasons. Yeah, the, I, I think he's highly respected. Interesting because they have previously had a coach named John L. Smith at <laughs> Michigan State. So this is the second John Smith to be the head coach in the last 20, 25 years, I would say at the school and uh, totally unrelated, of course, but, but, um, but just in, an interesting little snippet. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, he took an Oregon state program, which, you know, our former coach Riley had coached at for many years. It's, it's a tough place to recruit to. It, they very seldom had any success there for, you know, the, the history of their program. And this guy got them, you know, to where they were extremely competitive in a competitive league of the Pac-12 for the last two to three years. So he gets a lot of credit for being able to do that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Texas A&M, who, of course, had the high profile firing of uh, Jimbo Fisher, had to fill their spot. And they ended up getting uh, Mark or I'm sorry, Mike Elko from Duke. Uh, obviously kind of a similar story to Oregon state, right? Duke's had a great year this year. I know you're kind of a fan of, uh, that particular team and, you know, they kind of got off to a great start and then kind of stumbled, you know, in the midpoint of the season a bit. So they didn't go quite as good as they could have, uh, but they played a lot of close games against some very good teams. Right. Well, and again, as we've talked many times, we talked a lot about it with Nebraska. They, they had a, an injury at the quarterback position. And like a lot of schools, a lot of coaches or teams rather, you know, you don't have three great quarterbacks sitting there in, you know, the only the premier teams, the Michigans, the Ohio States, the Georgias, the Alabamas, you know, the Texases, they have two and three deep of future 
you know, NFL star type players at the quarterback position. Most other schools don't have that luxury, especially now in the age of NIL. You just, it's going to be extremely hard to keep that kind of talent around. What, and never again will teams have a, a, a roster like Nebraska did back in its heyday where we could lose a Tommy Frazier for the year and have a Brooke Behringer come in and not miss a beat. Right. So, right. so that, that's just not going to be a typical situation. And, and Duke was caught in that. They lost their premier quarterback and the next guy came in. He was good, but just wasn't that guy. So their, their performance was negatively affected. And it's probably part of why Mike Elko, you know, you, you can't say no to the kind of money and the, excuse me, the environment that you can get, you know, the resource, everything at Texas A&M, which will be like, like no place he's ever been. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, the, our next topic is, of course, going to be the games from uh, week, yeah. the past week of college football week 13, you know, the rivalry week, which is always a fun one. Um, and I think it this year in particular went to show that, you know, even when the teams are uh, mismatched, you know, in terms of their record and their overall perception and everything, uh, those rivalries and, you know, those the the x factors right you know the things that you can't quite predict uh tend to rear their heads and still make the games very close and exciting because there's a lot of that this weekend yes um but we'll start with the biggest game which of course we gave a prediction for which was uh michigan versus ohio state uh you predicted that michigan would win uh 31 21 well i sided with ohio state and said they would get their revenge uh 35 28 uh, but the final score ended up being uh, 30 to 24 to Michigan. So pretty close to the points that we were thinking it would be. Um, but it goes to you in terms of the overall result. And uh, I got to watch part of that game live. Uh, and uh, OSU actually was uh, driving late, uh, you know, so they had a chance because they were only down by uh, seven, right? So they had a chance to. Yeah. Or I think it was six. Yes, correct. Six. So they actually had a chance to win the game by one, potentially. Yes. Uh, with a fourth down drive. Uh, but, of course, they uh, they uh, they threw a pick uh, on that drive, which, of course, ended the game. You know, Michigan's defense, I would say, uh, gets a lot of credit for that win, you know, being able to slow them down for the vast majority yeah. of that game. Well, and, and I would also credit Ohio State's uh, play calling slash coordinator, who happens to be Ryan Day, their their head coach, is also their play caller uh, because they came out in the second half, had a drive in which the, it was like probably an 11-play drive, and I think nine of the plays were running plays, and they drove it right down Michigan's throat, and they probably averaged six or seven yards a carry on the running plays. They, I think they did throw it once or twice for short little gains, you know, uh, when the, the circumstance required it. But it was a beautiful, beautiful drive committed to the running game. And when I saw that drive, I thought, uh oh, you know what? Michigan State might be, or excuse me, Michigan might be in trouble because there was clear dominance at the line of scrimmage by the Ohio State offensive line. And then they never went back to it. <laughs> they never, they never called another series like that the whole rest of the second half. Yes. Now there were circumstances, you know, a Michigan, uh, Michigan immediately responded and took the took the next drive and drove down and scored again. And apparently that made him think, oh, I need to score more. This is going to be a score fest in the second half. And so he started throwing it more. 
And uh, he has a good, not great quarterback at this point. That kid might become a great quarterback, but he isn't today at Ohio State. And so um, they put the they put the game in his hands instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to challenge my offensive line, and we're gonna we're gonna get down and dirty and go old school Big Ten football and just grind it out. And I think if they had done that, they probably beat Michigan. Right. I mean, when it came down to just six points, right? Because Michigan had to settle for two field goals, I believe, later in the game. Um, yeah. And and Michigan was pulling out all the stops. They were doing reverse passes. And, you know, I mean, they they uh, they weren't showing patience either. They just made fewer mistakes with their lack of patience. <laughs> there you go. Um, which, of course, this uh, now brings up a whole discussion amongst, you know, national pundits and Ohio State fans about Ryan Day, uh, who has lost three times in a row now to Michigan. And Ohio State enjoyed a very comfortable uh, lead in that rivalry in the past, you know, decade or so. Um, two decades. Two decades, yeah. Uh, yeah so yeah. it's a kind of a new feeling for Ohio State fans to be on the other side of that coin. And even though he has done great there by all accounts, right? I think he's only oh, lost like six games or something like that. Yeah, he's lost six games, three in the Big Ten. Right. All three to, to Michigan. Michigan. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's one of those situations where you, you do well, you beat almost everyone you play, but you lose the rivalry game, right? And there's nothing Ohio State fans hate more than losing to Michigan. Uh, so there are right. some, you know, kind of more radical fans who are like calling for his head and everything. Uh, but I don't see any world where that happens. No, no, absolutely not. And the, the, uh, especially right now, because Gene Smith is still the athletic director there. Now, with a new athletic director, does he get influenced by, you know, powerful boosters and things like that as he settles into his job there? Uh, you know, that could change the perspective a little bit. But again, if that guy has a brain and can look beyond the the passion, right? Uh, I mean, at some point, there is an expectation that you have to compete with your rival. But frankly, other than the one time two years ago when, when Michigan kind of took them to the woodshed a little bit, these last two seasons, those have been very winnable games for Ohio State. Ohio State was absolutely right with Michigan in, in those two years. And so um, you, you just have to recognize that the other team has talent too. The other team has good coaches too, right? And and if you're in a rivalry of that level, you're going to lose some and you're going to win some. And hell, if you're close to 50-50, that's probably about where it should be. That's that's the gravitating to the mean, right? Right, Exactly. All right, so then the next game that we gave a prediction for on the previous podcast was Oregon versus Oregon State, because Oregon State was ranked pretty highly. Uh, I predicted that mm -hmm. Oregon would win in a closer one, 28-21, uh, while you predicted the higher scoring 42-24 uh, to 24 victory for Oregon. Uh, and the final score ended up being 31-7, to seven. Uh, so not as high scoring as you predicted, but a wide margin. Uh, Oregon yeah. uh, totally dominated that one. Yes which is kind of what I thought. So that one played out basically the way I, I thought it would. Um, um, obviously, uh, Oregon didn't score quite as many points, but they were dominant and uh, Oregon State struggled to score. Yes. Uh, and this was an interesting one. Uh, Georgia versus Georgia Tech. Uh, a Georgia Tech team who's yeah. middle of the road, you know, not that great this year, going up against the number one team in the country. Uh, and uh, it ended up being a pretty close one. Uh, Georgia pulled it out 31-23, uh, um, but Georgia had two turnovers, including one early, which led to an early score by Georgia Tech. 
Uh, yep. But Georgia Tech did have to settle for a lot of field goals because of Georgia's great defense, uh, which you know cost them some scoring opportunities, and they missed a field goal as well. Um, so you know Georgia made some mistakes, but managed to kind of rectify the situation by the end. Right. Exactly. And you know, but but it it does show that this Georgia team isn't quite the juggernaut, right? That some former teams have been in recent years where Georgia was just almost, you know, uh, a shoulder above most other teams, right? Um, even last year's team, although you could argue, you know, Ohio State was a play away from beating Georgia in the semifinals last year. Yes. So, so, um, um, but there's a big, big gap between Ohio State's talent and Georgia Tech's talent. That's a game that Georgia probably mailed in a little bit and didn't quite have the level of focus that they're going to need this week. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, uh, we had a similar situation with Washington versus Washington State in the Pac-12, another one of the top four teams playing. And uh, Washington State actually was down a 2-1 to one on the turnover margin, so they turned it over one, one time more than Washington did. But they were actually uh, winning for quite a bit of that game. And uh, it came down to a uh, four, I believe it was fourth down and one uh, late in the game with just a little bit of time left to go. And uh, yep. they called the Washington head coach called a uh, that's right, because they were on their own 25 yard line and it was a tie ball game. I want to say it was 21 uh, 21. So basically, if you go for it on fourth down, you know, at your own 25 and you don't get it, you're giving Washington State a free field goal, you know, to potentially right. win the game. Win the game, right. Yeah, and they went for like this, uh, you know, trick play, kind of like a reverse, you know, toss it back to the left side and it went for quite a few yards. Uh, so I have to give the Washington head coach some credit for some big balls because uh, that was a risky yeah. <laughs> thing to do and it paid off yep. big for him and they kicked a field goal and won the game. Yeah, but you know what? I, I still disagree with that call. But that, <laughs> that coach... That coach has a history of doing that, right? Like he he has been a gunslinger. He goes for it on fourth down. The Oregon coach is the same way. They both play very aggressively. They kind of ignore convention and are much more willing to take those risks and believe in the talent of their team just being better than the other team's talent. But but in that case, uh, you know, doing a, a trick play like that there's so many things that can go wrong on a, on a trick play. Do you really want to have your whole season uh, in terms of your goals uh, disrupted? Because as a coach, you get flimp it and, and throw a, 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 a fluky, you know, special play. Um, I don't know. I just think that's a bad <laughs> and, and, it, and it screams. I don't have confidence that my team can just do it in the traditional sense, right. In the, with a traditional run or a traditional pass play that we have confidence in that we execute every day in practice, you know, a hundred times, right. A week or something. So I, I don't, I, I don't love that, but, but I get it. It worked. So he's going to get praised. Yep. Well, it's, yeah, it was one of those, you're either an idiot or you're a genius. And this time he was a well, genius. So. I, I, I look beyond the result of the play and say he's an idiot anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, and then we had a similar situation with Florida State playing against Florida. It was a home game for Florida. And Florida State won, but it was 24-15. Uh, to 15. Um, And uh, Florida actually led for the majority of that game. Right. Uh, it was 12 to nothing at halftime uh, with Florida, I believe, getting a safety 
on uh, Florida right. State. Uh, but they they made a lot of mistakes, you know, with penalties. They had two of their players ejected over the course of the game, yep. and so they kind of let Florida State get back into it in the second half. Yep, and and, and but but the thing and the thing is, is that Florida is a good, not great football team this year, um, and has some flaws. So the fact that Florida State struggled so much in a rivalry game against uh, a Florida team that they should have been able to handle is a red flag to me about Florida State and where they're really at and just how much they're um, missing the uh, the quarterback that they've right. lost for the season. Yes. Yes, that definitely is a major blow to them. Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and talk about this one. Uh, Kentucky versus Louisville, um, yes. which Louisville was ranked as the 10th team in the, the 10th best team. And uh, ended up going Kentucky's way, who's kind of a, you know, like seven and five type team in the uh, SEC, uh, 38 to 31. Right. It was at home for yep. Louisville. Uh, and they turned the ball over three times compared to Kentucky's one and gave up a kickoff touchdown. Um, so, right. you know, they, they kind of played down to their opponent. Well, they, and, and they choked is what they did. And that's, that's a team, uh, Louisville, that is the come out of nowhere Cinderella story for the season. And they, acted like it in this game. You know, you're playing your in-state rival, a team that regularly beats you because they're the state school, right? They're the big SEC monster. And you finally have a team that appears to be playing at a, be- at a higher level. And, and then you go and lay an egg when you play them. That's just a big brother, little brother um, psyche thing, right? And uh, disappointing because Louisville still because that was a non-conference game, much like the Florida State-Florida game. Um, those are just in-state rivalries, but not conference games. So uh, Louisville's going to be playing Florida State this weekend, and both of them are coming off. One's coming off of a loss, and the other one's coming off of a game they can't be happy about how they played. Yep, very true. Well, and another team who's in a similar situation is Oklahoma State. They'll be playing against Texas in the uh, Big 12 Championship this weekend. Uh, but they had a very close one with BYU and went into double overtime. Uh, but Oklahoma State managed to win at home 40-34. Uh, to 34. Uh, BYU is actually up 24-6 to 6 at halftime. Uh, yeah. But uh, Oklahoma State, I believe, got a – or they uh, BYU got a pick six, which helped them get to that lead. Uh, but Oklahoma State started to make the comeback in the second half. Actually had the uh, fi- the final PAT uh, was blocked, which helped lead to the uh, tie game uh, that led to the overtime because I think they would have had a four-point lead, but because of the blocked PAT, they only had a three-point lead, and so they were really right. kick a field goal and go into overtime. Mm. Uh, and it was a rainy game, you know, so things always get crazy when the weather's out there like that. Yeah, uh, you know, so they had a drive for a field goal in the last 50 seconds of the game. And uh, it actually ended in the second overtime. Uh, BYU was, you know, uh, doing a run play and Oklahoma State's guy ripped the ball out of his hands and managed to get the turnover, which, of course, ends the game right there. So BYU uh-huh. didn't really get a proper chance to respond to uh, Oklahoma State's earlier touchdown. Right, right. Interesting. I didn't watch that game, so did not have that detail. So it sets up some interesting conference championship games. I'm not going to say this is like one of those years where you're just like, wow, this is going to be an incredible, uh, you know, 
big time game after big time game after big time game. I just, I don't feel that way as much about the conference championship games this year. For one, I would recommend you watch the highlights of that BYU game because it was quite fun to watch. Uh, yeah, but the craziest one we're saving for last, which is of course yes. the iron bowl, uh, Auburn versus Alabama, Auburn coming off of an embarrassing, you know, historically bad loss, right. to New Mexico state the previous week. So we both thought in last podcast, oh, there's no way they're going to challenge Alabama. Uh, but you know, the iron bowl finds a way to make things crazy. It was at home for Auburn and they were actually in the lead and, uh, managed to bounce back after that bat bad loss and played a, a very good game. Not really a lot of turnovers in the game. Uh, but of course it all comes down to this crazy sequence at the end where they have Alabama at third and 20 and, you know, kind of at the, I don't know what that would be like the 30, 40 yard line. And they give it up, you know, after, you know, stopping them obviously and sacking them and stuff. Uh, and then uh, Alabama gets down to the goal line and has a snap go wrong and gets into a fourth and 30 situation, which, you know, should be impossible fourth and 30 to the goal line. So that right. their only choice is to get a touchdown because that's what they needed at that point to uh, win the game. A field goal didn't do them any good. It was late in the game and somehow Auburn gives up this pass into the corner of the end zone. Alabama scores and uh, they get known for one of the greatest choke jobs of all time in college football. Yeah. Well, and, and there was another weird play in that sequence. And I don't know. I think it was after this, the, the missed snap that went backwards. Uh, then Alabama's quarterback overran the line of scrimmage. Yes. Then tried to run back behind the line of scrimmage and throw the ball down the field. And he completes the pass, I believe, but gets called for, of course, uh, going over the line, uh, uh, no. which is against the rules. Uh, so I watched the highlights. Uh, he did go over okay. the line, but it was an incomplete pass. Um, it was an incomplete but, pass, yes. but he still got called for throwing the ball. It was still a penalty, which moved him back. And you get uh, the loss of down. And you get the loss of down, exactly, which put him into the fourth and 30 or whatever. So it was the bad snap combined with – so you, you, you've already got a quarterback who sh – should be rattled because he just made a huge blunder in a critical situation, right? So you, you can't be going back into the next play, you know, with full confidence because you just made a huge mental blunder. Right. And then, and then the fourth fourth down happens. Yes. Well, and uh, on that third down, you know, it's third down and forever. And Auburn, you know, only had like three guys at the line, right? They just went full prevent, right. and it yeah. worked, right? You know the. Pass yep. wasn't completed, so they did the same thing basically the next play, and the guy right. had forever. Milrow had forever yes. to throw that ball, and he yes. managed to find one guy open in the corner, you know? Corner, yep, yep. And that guy made a great catch. Yes. I mean, it was a, it was an actually a, a, a really great catch. Um, and you can't expect those defensive backs, no matter how good they are, to cover for that long. That's why the, the prevent is just a horrible idea. I just, I don't, I don't buy it. I, I would, I would argue that it, it is never a good idea and that you should play your defense. And if they want to come out in, in some five wide thing, then you, 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 you have to spread out and cover those wide receivers, but you don't do it in a prevent. You just don't, you go ahead and challenge them. And, and, and more often than not, you, if you can, you, you blitz somebody so that, um, that guy's not going to have all day. You make that quarterback uncomfortable yes. in this day and age where every one of these quarterbacks 
plays in seven and seven leagues all summer long, right? Where they're playing without a rush. They're great. All these quarterbacks, even our quarterbacks, even Nebraska's sucky quarterbacks who throw interceptions every faster than lightning, even they would look good in seven and seven because that's what they do all summer. So you, you've got to put pressure. You've got to have a man in their face because if you're going to let them basically play seven and seven where they don't have any rush, then they're going to pick you apart, yeah. period. Very true. So, um, so that sets the stage for our uh, conference championship games uh, mm-hmm. coming up this weekend. We've got uh, Oregon versus Washington in the Pac-12, uh, Oklahoma State versus Texas in the Big 12, Georgia versus Alabama in the SEC, Michigan versus Iowa in the Big 10, and Louisville versus Florida State in the ACC. Uh, and just today, the college football playoff rankings were released. Uh, nothing yeah. too crazy, but uh, Georgia remained at number one with Michigan now rising to number two because of the Ohio State victory with Washington three and Florida State four. So all the undefeated teams, of course, still at the top. And you've got Oregon yep. right behind there at number five. Um, and from what I saw, even though Washington is undefeated and uh, won against Oregon previously, as you recall, it was a yeah. very narrow victory. And Oregon is actually yeah. favored by the bookies in this rematch uh, that's coming up here. You know, they've yeah. kind of been trending better, whereas Washington's had a lot of close games recently. Uh, so do you think it will go? It is, it is at Washington, though, because the, tw- the, the Pac-12 plays at the home stadium. Right. Ah. It's, uh, I think that is true. Uh, we can, I can double check that, but, but, uh, you know, the big 10, of course, play play in Indianapolis. They play at a big stadium. Uh, so does the sec. They play in, in, in Atlanta every year. I mean, all these other conferences play usually in a big new semi neutral site, you know, stadium a lot of fun times an NFL stadium, but I don't believe that's the case in the pac 12. I think they play, at home. So just, just an FYI. Um, but here's the thing that I find interesting since you were just talking about the, the, uh, the, the standings, you know, the one thing I would argue with the, the committee on is Ohio state dropped the sixth. I believe they were second. So they dropped. Uh, four. Yes. Okay. Why is Oregon ahead of them? Ohio state's one lost one game to the number two team, Michigan, at their home stadium in a game in which they could have, as you said, won. They were only down six. They could have won with one play. Oregon has lost to Washington, also a highly regarded team, right? Um, But number three. So how is it, you know, that um, Oregon is placed ahead of, of of Ohio state when Ohio state was ahead of them before. And the only argument I guess you could make is Oregon probably has more top 25 wins because early in the season, the PAC 12 looked great because of their non-conference. And there was a bunch of ranked teams in the PAC 12, right? Arizona was ranked. Arizona state was ranked. Washington state was ranked Washington, Ohio state. I mean, Oregon, you know, all these teams, right? So I guess that's the argument for why Oregon finds themselves ahead of that. And Oregon is in the championship game this weekend where Ohio state is not. Right. I would say all those are factors. And I'm also 
looking right now. And they did play uh, Texas Tech in their non-conference, so they played a good team uh, in their non-conference <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. Also, just to... Mid- uh, well, Ohio court- State played Notre Dame. Well, so. that's true. Uh, to correct you, uh, it's actually happening at uh, Allegiant Stadium in Nevada, so it is not a home game for Washington. Oh, it is not. Okay, that changes things. Then that's that's probably why Oregon is the is the favorite. Okay, there you go. Um, so yeah, in terms of the the conference championship games, uh, you know, the Pac-12 and the SEC are kind of easy ones, right? Where both teams are coming in very highly regarded. You know, Oregon, Washington, Georgia, Alabama. So it's just kind of like whoever wins that game is definitely in the top four, right, for the playoff. I, uh, I don't know about Alabama though. They're eight. Well, sure, so but if they win, go through the scenarios. But if they, if let's say they beat Georgia, right? Right. Then, uh, 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 but Michigan wins the other the other three: Michigan, Washington, and whoever else wins. Right. Right. Okay. All right. And then Texas beats Oklahoma State, and Texas beat Alabama. And they're both one loss teams. Right. Which that, that does get tricky, right? Cause yeah, Texas is <laughs> Alabama's you, one how loss. You, how do you choose Alabama over Texas? That's true. Okay. Well, so I hadn't thought of that. Um, I guess I was more going on the fact of, you know, those two, uh, the PAC 12 and the sec are like matchups of like both teams being ranked in the top 10, whereas the others have right. some more wild outcomes. If the, I totally agree. You got Michigan playing Iowa. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. No, you I know, get it. I get if, it. And Florida playing Louisville. And, right. I mean, Florida State, rather. Uh, so. Right. Even if, yeah, even if Iowa or Louisville won, right, they wouldn't be in the top four. You know, that's where the, an Ohio State right. or someone else could sneak in there. Or an Oklahoma State beating the Texas, Yeah, who's 19th. Oklahoma State's ranked 19th. So. Right. Um, um, yeah. But. Uh, I think you do bring up a good point there. If if it played out like you said, so all the expected teams won, except Georgia, except for Georgia, uh, and then it was Alabama versus you know Texas because Texas's one loss is to Oklahoma, right? Who is uh, also you know w- well regarded, uh, right? And it was a close game, and it was uh, a very close game in a neutral field. Field, yeah. right? I mean, Oklahoma is twelfth, right? So then they're ten and two currently, um, but like you say, right? It would feel weird, right? It would feel weird to have the team that won the head-to-head lose in the tiebreaker, basically. Uh, right. So you're right. I think that would be a scenario where Alabama would be left out, even as the SEC champ. Right. Right. Yeah, which would be very interesting. Um, very interesting. But yeah, you know, uh, like you say, Michigan versus Iowa, you know considering that Nebraska should have beaten Iowa this past week uh, and how good Michigan is. I think Michigan should be able to handle that one pretty good. Um, And then Louisville, Florida state, like you say, is interesting because they both struggled recently. Uh, But you'd like to think that uh, that close call with Florida kind of woke Florida state up Um, though. You did mention previously that the committee does take into account injuries when they consider yes. the top four teams and the fact that Florida State has lost their quarterback that got them this far in the season. Yep. You know, yep. and then perhaps they win against Louisville, but it's a very ugly game, you know, and they barely win by like three points. 
that could end up being a factor, I think. It could be, especially depending on how the other games go. But but as I look at this, I, uh, you know, we're going to go through those, right? We're going to go through and pick those games now. Sure thing. So, well, let's start with uh, Michigan and Iowa then. Uh, okay. I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, Michigan wins, uh, and they managed to, uh, you know, Iowa's defense obviously is very good, so I think they will slow Michigan down. But in the end, Iowa's offense uh, just won't be able to do get do much. Um, so Michigan will end up winning uh, 31 to uh, 10 over Iowa. It's a good score. I would I would agree with that. I think Mich- Michigan's going to win it. Uh, there's an awful lot of motivation, I think, on Michigan's part to dominate this game, to just win it going away. Uh, and recall that uh, the only other time that Iowa pl- played a team with an offensive pulse, because there there really wasn't a team in the West that had any semblance of successful offensive play, um, was Penn State. And Penn State beat them like 31-3. to Okay, mm-hmm. so your score's pretty much right on cue there. Um, I do believe that Iowa's you know, strategy is going to be the strategy they use every week, which is we're going to muddy up this game. We're going to um, do time of possession things. We're going to just try to eke out first downs. We're going to use our All-American punter uh, in, a, in a dome stadium to keep us in the game and to flip the field and make Michigan's um, efforts tough, right? And uh, uh, their defense and, uh, is good enough that maybe they could challenge Michigan's great offensive line, who lost, by the way, their leader, their best player, if you will, their their most experienced lineman went down to injury in the Michigan uh, Ohio State game, so he is going to be unavailable. He was carted off in a cart, uh, so I'm fairly certain he's not going to be playing this week. So um, the question becomes: uh, Can Ohio or can Iowa's um, you know traditional uh, game plan work? And I think it's going to, uh, to a certain extent, but then at some point Michigan's going to break it open. And so I think it's a big day for Michigan's running backs. And I think they, they end up winning like 35 to nine. All right. A lot of field goals in there. Uh, yeah. And to correct you actually against Penn state, they lost 31 to nothing. So they're obviously okay. no points. Yeah. No points, which I, I, I'm giving them a ton of credit to score nine. <laughs> on this Michigan defense. Yeah. I really am. I'm I'm assuming that they're going to get a turnover, but then they'll end up having to kick a field goal. They won't get a touchdown out of it, you know? Um, but, uh, but I think it's going to be a comfortable victory for Michigan. Yep. All right. Well, and the next one we'll talk about is the sec Georgia versus Alabama. Uh, of course, uh, you know, we thought that this might be a rough year for Nick Saban at the beginning with the early loss to Texas, right? They were looking a little bit lost with their young quarterback, um, but he's, you know, kind of stepped up his game, uh, you know, and they managed to get through undefeated, even though they did not look great against Auburn. You know, they made it all the way here. Um, it is uh, it is in Georgia, the uh, game. Oh, Atlanta. Right. Yeah. Um, so you would think that gives Georgia a bit of a home field advantage, even though it's not their stadium. Um but of course, uh, Nick Saban is going to be coming for revenge, right? Because he's lost to Kirby Smart now a few times in recent years. 
Um, but the question is, uh, can they pull it off? You know, both teams right. kind of struggled last week, so they're both going to be coming in uh, probably more focused and trying to play a cleaner game. Uh, so what's your prediction? You know, I, I have to admit, I have just not watched enough Georgia football this year. I should have been watching them more, knowing they were going to be one of the best teams in the country. But it, I guess it just has to do with when Nebraska was playing and how pissed I was after Nebraska lost. Maybe <laughs> I didn't watch the Georgia game at night or whatever. But um, I, I think Georgia's the better team this year. I do. Um, um, although Alabama's quarterback, kind of a dual threat guy, he could make some things interesting. But but uh, I just I was amazed at how Auburn was able to move the football against Alabama. This wasn't some fluke where Alabama was dropping turnovers and that's why Auburn was able to hang in there even though Auburn's not very good. So, I'm inclined to go with Georgia here and I think Georgia wins by uh about 10 points. So, I'm going to say 31-21 Georgia. Well, I just went and uh scrolled through their uh Georgia's record this year, their their various wins and actually when they played against Auburn earlier in the year, they won but it was pretty narrow, uh 27 to 20. Uh, mm-hmm. they also had a close game against Missouri, right? Who is a top yes. 10 type team this year. I remember that. Yeah. So those have kind of been, and then Georgia tech, right? So those have kind of been their close games. They've, uh, done quite well against pretty much everybody else on their schedule. Um, right. So between that and the location of the game and everything, I'm inclined to agree with you that, uh, Georgia wins, but I'm going to say it's going to be closer, maybe a little higher scoring. Uh, so I'll say, Georgia wins, uh, forty-two to uh, thirty-one against Alabama. Okay, you might be right. Actually, yeah, I like your score. We'll say thirty-four Alabama. Make it a little bit closer. Oh, okay. You're going to add one more field goal. Yes. I like your score. I do. Uh, yep. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I just I have a feeling that they're both going to be feeling each other out. So there's not going to be a lot of scoring early. Right. And then eventually it'll, it'll get into one of these pinball things late in the game when both teams have figured the other team's offensive game plans out. And then in the Big 12, we've got uh, Texas versus Oklahoma State. Uh, you know, kind of a weird one where everybody was expecting that Oklahoma would be getting their rematch with uh, Texas in the championship game. But because Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma, right, in their Oklahoma, matchup, right? I think Oklahoma State won the tiebreaker and is now yep. kind of unexpectedly in the championship game. Uh, but do you think right. they've got a shot? No. I think <laughs> Texas wins, and, and I actually think this might be a little bit of a, a blowout. Uh, I, I, uh, it's going to be high scoring, I believe, but I still think it'll be like 2017. Let's do 17-point victory. So uh, I'm going to say Texas scores um, 48 and uh, minus 17 would be 31, right? That's true. I mean, that that BYU game w- was high scoring, but that's partially because it went at a double overtime, so you got some extra points Correct. in there. Um, Correct. The Oklahoma State did not play Texas in the regular season, so this is the first time no. these two are meeting up. Uh, and yep. once again, it is a, in Texas, uh, this yep. game. Uh, so yep. at, the, at the Jerry Dome. Right. So you yep. have to say a bit of a home field advantage for oh, Texas. That's huge. Yeah. That's huge. <laughs> yeah, of course. Texas get all the advantages, as we know. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm going to agree that Texas wins. 
Uh, similarly, though, I think I'll go maybe a little bit closer because uh, we mentioned it. Texas played against Texas Tech in their rivalry game, and they won that pretty soundly. But Texas Tech is, you know, pretty mediocre this year. So, you know, not exactly sure what to take from that. Um, yeah. But I'm going to say the Texas. Well, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, well, Texas. Texas just has so much more talent, right? I mean, Texas Tech isn't even in the same stratosphere in terms of the talent on the roster. So that 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 dictates that a little bit. And Texas has some good quarterbacks, right? They're one of the few schools that we talked about earlier that actually has depth at the quarterback position. Right. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and say they win 38-31. Uh, to 31. Okay. Okay. It just, it just occurs to me, I'm going to predict something right now about the SEC, and maybe this has already been announced, and I'm, I'm way late because I haven't been paying attention to the news, but I'm going to predict right now that the SEC is going to change its uh, tradition of having its conference championship game at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, and, uh, and they're going to start rotating it between the Jerry Dome and the Georgia Dome every other year. Um, uh, as part of the new SEC uh, and giving the gift that always seems to go Texas's way. <laughs> you might be right. Well, and frankly, you know, now that Georgia's emerged, you know, as kind of a, uh, a real force of the SEC, right? They've won it the past few years. Maybe they're also thinking, you know, just change it up. So it's not always a Georgia advantage or whatever. Right. Right. Um, all right, and then we've got uh, Louisville FSU in the ACC. Um, you know, I'll admit this is probably the one I know the least about because I haven't really followed either team too closely. But given that Louisville just lost to Kentucky, um, I got to believe that uh, FSU should be able to take this one even with their backup quarterback. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say that FSU wins. Um, and let's say that the score is... Uh, 30 FSU to uh, 20 for Louisville. 30 to 20. Okay. Well, I'm going to spice it up. And I'm going to say Louisville's pulling the upset here. Ooh. I'm going to say Louisville's going to win, and uh, they're going to score um, 42 points, and uh, Florida State's going to score 28 points. Wow. 42-28 Louisville. Quite a – quite a significant victory yeah okay yep. um and then uh we'll talk about oregon washington you know we've been kind of looking forward to this one because the last game between these two was a very fun one to watch um so we're hoping yeah. for another exciting uh rematch now we establish it is at a neutral field in nevada so no real advantage either way um and even though oregon kind of has been playing better recently and washington's had some close calls uh, and Oregon, you know, frankly should have won the previous game, you know, if they just did a couple things differently, I think I'm still going to side with Washington. They're kind of reminding me of TCU this year and that they've come close to losing a lot, but they've managed to pull it out. They're a bit scrappy in that way. Um, and obviously, uh, you know, they have some sort of mental edge you could say, because they did win last time. So whether that, advantages the team that got beat, you know, and they want revenge or whether it advantages the team that uh, won, you know, it can kind of go either way, but I'm going to say it swings Washington's way and they win in a pretty high scoring affair. Uh, so let's say it's a 42 to 38 Washington victory. 
And I'll switch that and say it's an Oregon victory. Same score as you, but Oregon wins. There we go. Okay, so we got a couple differences in the champions are going to be. Yes, which would then play out then, right? If if what we predict, well, since we didn't predict the same thing, the four teams in my scenario are going to be Oregon, excuse me, uh, Michigan and uh, Georgia both win. So one and two stay the same. But then... Washington, number three, gets beat by Oregon, so Oregon takes their place there. And then the four spot, uh, Florida State gets beat by Louisville, so that opens the door for Ohio State. Correct. In that scenario, because Ohio State is ranked <laughs> sixth, and then behind them is yeah. Texas and Alabama, but in this scenario... Now, now if Texas beats Oklahoma State, Texas uh, jumps over... I'm wrong about that. Texas would jump over um, Ohio State. Ohio State and Texas ends up being the fourth team. That's what that's what it ends up being. Correct. So in my scenario, your scenario would be Washington wins. So there's three. So the uh, and then you say Florida State wins. So you're you're saying they stay the same. And then the question becomes: Does uh, does a um, right. Texas victory? push them over Florida state. Right. You know, would, would they actually rearrange that? And I just don't know that the committee would do that if both Florida state and Texas won, unless Texas won in an absolute blowout and Florida state won in a sloppy game in which they really didn't deserve to win, but just kind of fell into it like Alabama. Yes. I would say that would probably be the only scenario where it would be close where they, yeah. Um, And in the, well, that would be awesome for Texas to not be able to go. So I almost want to switch my <laughs> – I want Florida State to win now because I want. I would love it if they could keep Texas out. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah, you were, you were thinking of a scenario where you would get two Big Ten teams in, but now you're like, oh, no, I've opened right. the door to Texas. What have I done? Exactly. No, what have I done? Exactly. Um Exactly. So yeah, it'll it'll definitely be interesting. You know, I could see like Washington becoming number two over Michigan, right? If they beat an Oregon team that's ranked fifth, while Michigan beats an Iowa team that's ranked sixteenth, right? Um, I don't think right. anybody would value that as much. Uh, but it right. doesn't really matter because either way, they play each other, um, and then Florida State gets paired up against Georgia. Um, so you know, we'll see how it all uh, plays out next week. That's right. It it well. You know, like I said, it's a good slate. It's not as exciting a slate. You know, I'm obviously going to be very interested in that Alabama-Georgia game. That Washington-Oregon game looks like it will be intriguing. I, I will be interested in the Oklahoma State-Texas game just because I, I very much will be an Oklahoma State fan on Saturday. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I, I'm intrigued by the Louisville-Florida State matchup. Uh, I think, obviously, Florida State's the better team, but but given their instability at quarterback, Louisville uh, and I, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of an admirer of Louisville's coach, who used to be Purdue's coach, and uh, so, you know, I, I have a feeling Louisville will play well. Yes, I will say, as we were mentioning, you know, how Iowa stumbled into this position in their season, it would be a hilarious capstone if they somehow managed to beat Michigan, you know, the number two team in the country, and be the Big Ten yes. champions this year. That would be the ultimate, uh, you know, troll of college football. It would, and of Michigan, 
and of everyone who down downplays Iowa's uh, and laughed at Iowa's putrid offense that was one of the worst in NCAA history all season. Uh, and uh, it would be quite comical, actually. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, there are some scenarios where, you know, chaos happens and we get uh, Ohio State getting in or potentially, you know, maybe a one loss Georgia, right? If they lose to Alabama in a close one, you know, and a bunch of the other right. teams get upset, then Georgia could potentially sneak in and we get two SEC teams again. Uh, right. You know, beyond them, there's like, you know, Missouri and Penn State, but they both have two losses already. So I think they're pretty much out of it. Uh, so it's really. You know, the current top eight, you know, some combination of them are going to be who's the top four teams. Right. It's going to be interesting. All right. Well, this has been a long one, but we covered a lot of topics today. Uh, It's sad that, you know, feels like the college football season just started and now we're already here in December. Um, And this is, you know, I was kind of feeling a bit, you know, melancholy after watching all these games and seeing how close they all were, right? Cause some of these uh, classic rivalries aren't going to happen anymore. Right. With the new uh, lineups, exactly. right? Like Oregon, Oregon state, Washington, Washington state, you know, now that they're going to the big 10 and things like that, you know, and this is our last year of the 14 playoff, right. Before we enter the new era. So, you know, it's kind of like, enjoy it while it lasts, you know, this is our last time kind of experiencing a lot of these things. That's true. That's absolutely true. A lot of college traditions and hell, the disappearance of a a hundred plus year old conference in the Pac-12. I mean, they're, they're supposedly they're going to keep the name Pac-12 and they're going to reconstitute the Pac-12 with a bunch of other schools uh, at some point. That's the plan that Oregon State and Washington State have. Um, and they're going to try their best to hold on to, to as much of that $400 million that they get paid every year <laughs> as they can, as they're able to legally secure um so it'll be very interesting to see um you know uh how that all plays out yeah all right well if you all enjoyed listening to this podcast you can email us at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com you can also reach out to us if you search for college football throw it on on apple Podcasts or spotify you can leave us a rating or review there we always love hearing from the fans so thank you all for listening and thank you dad for joining me for this episode And until next time, go Big Red. Go Big Red.